We cut to Tobias, who is having a staring <laughs> contest with a mouse. This is fucking Mr. Jingles from uh, the Green Mile vibes. This smart-ass mouse that yep. has evaded Tobias. Yep. I, I was a red-tailed hawk with the mental powers of a human. I was being outfought by a mouse. Who now has, like, a tail shortened by an inch. Mm-hmm. Um, just like <laughs> a lesson in humility. Mm-hmm. Um it's hilarious. It's just very, it's a very good moment. Yep. And mm. there are some people camping in his meadow. He's pissy about it. He's pissy about it. Even though they're, perf- they're perfect campers. Yes. They're yes. doing everything right and he knows that. Yeah. Um, but they bother him. Hardcore crunchies is how they're described. Yes. Uh, and because his meadow is very far away from the regular trails um, on purpose, because mm-hmm. uh, he's at Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. Um, away from where the tourists like to watch out for the Hawk Bajir. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, the girl here is playing a few a flute at like professional level. Um, and it bothers him. Um, and he he recognizes like she doesn't look anything like Rachel. The guy doesn't look anything like him. There's something about them, the two of them, the couple. They looked like what I thought we'd look like. Um, they're very much in love and he, he's kind of just been hoping that they would move on, but they're kind of lingering. They're not sure whether, where they want to go. And he's just like, I don't don't want them to be here anymore. Um, if they stayed another night, she would play her flute again, which shouldn't bother me. But there's one great lesson to surviving alone. It's this. Don't lie to yourself. (laughs) Um, and. But hey, Toby's coming for a visit. Yeah. Uh, and the hikers are like, oh. <laughs> Look, a hork bajir. Yeah. Um, um But there's also a wolf with this hork bajir and He assumes uh, it's Cassie. He assumes it's Cassie. Um and he's very guarded because he's like, Why did you bring this person? He's like, Tobias, I have done something you may disapprove of. <laughs> um, um I love this. I could be mad at her or I could trust her. I decided to be both. <laughs> and he's just like who is it and jake reveals himself he demorphs and the campers are just snapping pictures like hey <laughs> like ken and barbie knock it off this is my meadow you want to stay sit down and stay quiet um and he like he, he just wants to yell at somebody yeah he's so surprised he isn't even really angry he's just like totally thrown off balance um and he's just like well, Jake, what's up with you? You get this observation of Jake being like a young man with an old man's eyes. Mm-hmm. Because also when you think about like the difference in how you look between like 16 and 19, like that's such a mm-hmm, radical mm-hmm. shifting of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and they, they kind of just like exchange pleasantries and devices like, well, it was fun catching up. Bye. And Jake uh, fucking plays his trap card mm-hmm. and says that it's about Axe. I should have flown away. I knew I should have. But Axe had said I was his shorm. It's an Andalite word for someone who is closer than a friend. During the war, we'd both been exiles in the woods, Axe and me. Neither of us had a real home. His family was a billion miles away. Mine didn't really exist. Only later did we discover that Axe and I were, because of almost unbelievable circumstances, actually related. I could fly away. If I didn't, I was trapped. I would be trapped with Jake. Again. 
what about X? I ask. And I die. Mm-hmm. Because they love each other so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut to Marco reminiscing on how much money he has in his bank account. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's loaded. Yep. $9,432,000. Not a billionaire, though. That's actually, you know. Uh, his TV show's doing all right. He has a girlfriend. Model actress. No, she was not, shall we say, a genius, but she was beautiful and sweet and about a foot taller than me. He has a butler whose name is McPherson, but Marco calls Weatherby. Yep. Um, and he's just rattling through all the stuff he has. So why exactly, why were... Was I spending my time morphing to lobster in order to crawl along the bottom of my swimming pool? Uh, and he's reminiscing about the old days. Um, Got morph description. And then Jake shows up. Well, if it isn't Lobster Boy. Hey, Jake, remember this morph? Uh-huh. Some reason why you're morphing to lobster? Uh, I dropped my keys down the pool. I was going to go get them. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you have the ability to turn into a lobster, because otherwise, what would you do? I mean, normal people, they drop their keys in the pool. They're just totally helpless. Those keys stay down there forever. And I'm just like... This is wonderful and also deeply upsetting when you start thinking about the implications of it. Mm -hmm. But they both fall into this pattern, but it's sharper than it ever used to be. Um, Marco goes back... Uh, let's the morph fall away. Um, I see seem perky. You want something to drink? What are you going to do? Morph to cow and squeeze me out a glass of 2%? I'll take that as a no. Can you, whether be, can you please bring out a Diet Coke? There's definitely something wrong with you, Jake. You're being way too clever, way too quick. What's up? You finally go on Prozac? Um, which causes Jake to wince and Marco is sorry that he's opened his mouth. Um, it is so depressing that Essentially, a whole new war and a crisis to solve is what brings Jake out of his depression, like an yeah. antidepressant would. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, serotonin is here. It's because you have to go to war. Uh-huh. It's fine. Um, it's all fine. But Marco immediately clocks this for what it is. Jake has something to tell him. Uh, the presence of Tobias is kind of what unsettles Marco, though. Um, I love this description. Yeah. Um, he glanced up and smiled a little. I looked up and saw a hawk circling high in the air directly above us. In a heartbeat, it was as if, as if everything around me turned translucent, like it was all fake, a set created with the help of trick lighting. Now, with a sudden change, it was like I could see right through the walls of my very nice house, right past old Weatherby and the silver tray with my Coke. The last three years were magically reduced to a daydream. An old reality emerged from beneath the illusion. I reached for my drink and my hand was trembling. Jake waited, patient now that he now that he knew that I knew. He was watching me, waiting for my reaction, waiting but not like he had any doubt about me, the smug jerk. You're about to ruin my life, aren't you? I asked him. I sounded more self-pitying than I'd intended to. That depends. Yeah, right. So what is it? He told me, and every word was another nail in my coffin because what was I going to do? Refuse to help save Axe? At last, Tobias swooped down and landed on my patio table. So where's the other horsewoman of the apocalypse? I asked. Cassie? She's not coming on this one, Jake said. I nodded. 
Good for you. At least you have the <laughs> at least you have that much sense. Jake shrugged. She's doing what she needs to be doing. And I'm not, I demanded. He ignored that, which made me mad because it's not like what I do for a living is just negligible. Granted, what Cassie does is more impressive and admirable if you care about that, but I had a TV show. I was a millionaire. <laughs> so you're rounding up the gang, huh? Just like one of those over-the-hill gunfighters movies, like our parts should be played by Clint Eastwood and James Garner. I glanced at Tobias and Foghorn Leghorn. Marco, you're not even 20, Tobias said. I'm old for a red tail. You, you're not even old enough to drink. Yeah, well, I aged in gorilla years. I pouted for a moment, very annoyed that neither of them was buying my act at all. And being annoyed, I lashed out a little. You sure you're up for this, Jake? You haven't been exactly living the American dream since your last war. That got him. And again, I was mad at myself, which made me madder at him. Jake said, well, maybe we live and learn. What have you learned? I challenge. You've been all depressed and now you see a way out of it because someone's giving you another chance to play war? Maybe, he admitted softly. I groaned. Being ticked off was stupid of me and we had important stuff to discuss. All right, Jake, man, I'll cut the baloney if you will. You're my friend. Act as my friend. On a good day, I can even stand the flea-bitten buzzard here. But you've got to get real. You've been messed up by some hard decisions you've made and now you want to go make more hard decisions? Jake glared fiercely. I learned from my mistakes. This time, maybe I'll do it differently. Some things, at least. Ah, so there it was. Jake was going to give himself another chance. This time, he would be the warrior who never sinned. He would be Sir Galahad. I felt sorry for him, and I knew I should probably just shut up. But I was his friend, and a friend tells you the stuff you don't want to hear. Okay, Jake, come in. I'll go with you. You know that. But here's what you need to realize going in. If you're in charge, you're going to end up right back in the same swamp you didn't like the first time. Marco, I shut up for a minute. Listen, if I'm putting my life on the line with you again, the price you pay is to listen to me now. I took a deep breath. Back in the day, Jake, you made more heavy decisions than any 10 men would have had to in a 100 lifetimes. You made life and death calls. You got us up to our butts and alligators and you got us back out. And sorry, but it's not what people think, that you are some kind of military genius. I'm better at tactics than you are. And humble too, Tobias muttered. It's true, and Jake knows it. Jake, you won because you didn't scare. You didn't panic, you didn't scare, and you didn't play a part or strike poses wondering what history would think. You made the right calls without regard to all that. But then when the shooting was all over, you started questioning everything you did. You armchair quarterbacked your entire life and decided you made mistakes. Well, no kidding. Surprise. You're not a god. Jake nodded. This time I won't make mistakes. Don't tell me that. You want zero screw up in a fight? I got Rachel killed. Wouldn't you like me to keep that from happening to you? Yeah, I really would. But you start thinking that way and that's when you get me killed. You have to trust your instincts, not your doubts. I'll trust my life to your instincts. If we're fighting again, you have to be able to make the same kind of crazy, reckless, ruthless decisions you made before. We beat an empire, my friend, the six of us, and we didn't in large part because you didn't know any better than to trust your own instincts. I stopped talking and Jake didn't say anything. I could tell I'd had no effect on him, or at least not the effect I'd hoped. All I'd managed to do was send him spiralling back to that awful day aboard the pool ship. After a while, he shook himself, smiled and said, So you're in, right? And of course I was. 
God, I love Marco so much. Look at the Marco! Oh! <laughs> love my son! <sighs> but hey, now they've got to sneak onto uh, a military base. Yeah, uh, Jake uh, picks out a, cu- a couple of his uh, class or students. Yeah, we get um, uh, Sergeant Santarelli, who was mentioned before, um, mm-hmm. and a French uh, demo bureau, um, I assume it's like the equivalent of the US, named uh, Jean Girard. I chose them because of the strength, both on the strength of their lack, both on the strength and I assume their lack of any no, close family. No, no, it's just I chose them both on the strength of, of their, their lack, lack of any close family. Because wow. basically everybody in his class volunteered. Yeah. And he was just like, I'll take you two because if you die, I feel bad about I, it. you're not leaving behind a huge family. And of course, because uh, Jean Girard is a gorgeous woman, uh, just like, Marco. unfortunately, Jean was beautiful, a problem I should have foreseen. And Marco's just like flirting, mm-hmm. flirting so hard. He's carefully pronouncing her name. Um, and Jake's, Jake is just like, this is going to be a problem, isn't it? What? Me and Jean? No problem at all. Obviously, she wants me and what woman doesn't. I don't see any problems at all. Marco. Yes, Jake? If you wanted to chase women, you could have stayed at home. Believe me, I wish I had. I had a good life. I had it all. They're going to have to cancel my show. Do you realize that? But hey, without me, who would take you out? The wi- you and the winged? Who would take care of you and the winged wonder here? Marco, you were bored out of your mind. Yes, I was. If I hadn't asked you to come, you'd have killed me. Yes, Jake, I would. But that's not going to change the fact you'll be whining endlessly about this wonderful life you gave up, is it? I really doubt it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so they drive up to uh, where basically an Andalite shuttle has been uh, convinced to land uh, under the pretense that like there's going to be some terrorist informant who's going to mm-hmm. give himself up and give them a bunch of information. But really they're there so that the the Animorphs can knock them out and steal their shuttle to get up to the Yerk ship that's in orbit that they're going to take to Kelbert's It's all a setup. It's all a setup. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Marco. Introducing himself to Josh. Like, hi, I'm Marco. I have my own TV show. Yep. Uh, 19 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Marco continues to try to flirt with Jean. And uh He's like, if we work closely together, I can teach you all I know. But what could I possibly do to repay you? Well, I know. Perhaps someday I could introduce you to my cousin Michelle. She likes short men, even as short as you. <laughs> I love you. Ah, uh, beautiful and mean. I like you. Jake, when you get a minute, can you help me pull this knife out of my chest? <laughs> Uh, but they knock out the Andalites. Uh, there's a bit of posturing really quick because Menderash is like, yeah, the six of us are barely enough to take down these Andalites. And Jake's like, yeah, well, we can do it with two. Uh, hey, Tobias, go morph Andalite and run in the desert and then Marco will sneak up behind them and knock them out. No big deal. No big. And so they take the shuttle, they get up to orbit, and they come up to this Yerk ship, this prototype Yerk ship, about a quarter the size of a blade ship, maybe five or six times as big as a standard bugfighter, uh, sharpened uh, kind of looks like a sharpened boomerang with the ends raked forward and ending in nasty looking dragon cannons. Um, and uh, Menderash tells them that it's very, very fast. It packs a very powerful weapons array for its size. Um, it has two small shuttlecrafts. Uh, and they, they get ready to go on board. Menderash hesitates and Jake asks why. Like, maybe is this because he's gonna not take orders from me well? What's going on? And Menderash is like, it, it's just a custom. 
Um, an Andalite custom. We always name a ship before the first crewman boards. It's an old notion, a superstition, really. The thinking is that the ship must know who it is before the crew can know about it. And Jake is like, oh, well, you know, it's also a superstition for humans that ships are always she. Um, and they all kind of look at this ship and Marco wonders aloud, what are we going to call her? And Tobias is the one who says, she's beautiful. She's beautiful and dangerous and exciting. I turned in surprise to look at Tobias. He stared back at me with his eternally fierce hawk's gaze. Marco laughed, realizing what we were thinking. She would love it. A scary, deadly, cool-looking York ship on a doomed, suicidal, crazy mission that no one can ever know about? She would love it. So it was that we went aboard the Rachel. And we get Mark from Marco. Um... Just kind of a summary of what ends up being at least six months, possibly up to three years, mm-hmm. um, of them just hopping between Z space and regular space, searching star systems for the blade ship. Yeah. Uh, the uh, conveniently stolen ship happens to be uh, filled with six dozen Cinnabons, <laughs> um, which has Santorelli wondering if uh, Andalites have a sense of humor. Or Marcus, we're never sure. Um. But it, it's a very long trip, and it's only after many, many months um, that they don't even, they aren't the ones to find the blade ship. The blade ship finds them. Yeah. Uh, Marco is at the sensor when he sees the, sh- when he sees the ship on the radar, it's yeah. hailing them. Yeah. And he's like, hey, Mendrash, I got a ship here. <laughs> uh, a good detail is that they've been training each other yes. throughout. Even though Mendrash is like the most qualified, uh, they're all learning. Which is why Marco is on the, yeah, the senses. Yeah, the, the basics of piloting, yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone comes to the bridge. Uh, again, we get the use of frowsy. Uh-huh. Um, and Jake's like, what, what, what the fuck is it? Um, and Mandarash is like, there's a ship approaching in normal space. They've hailed us. Uh, our point, they're asking what our point of origin and destination are. And so they give them the story that they're the Enterprise, a peaceful deep, spe- deep space exploration ship from the United Federation of Planets. We figured no one in this far corner of the universe would have seen Star Trek reruns. It was our little joke. Uh, the problem with that is that the ship that they are looking for uh, is filled with Yerks who spent many years on Earth and who would definitely know that. And so when they call up, the the ship asks to like <laughs> visual. have visual <laughs> conversation with them. Um, they get Santorelli to be the face because he's the best BS artist they have aside from Marco. And they don't, they and they won't know who the fuck he is. Yeah. So he's standing up as the face with, uh, the captain. Jean is going to stand with him. Everyone else out of view. And they narrow the audio channel to just pick up Santorelli. Uh, the image that comes on screen is of a human, um, who's just like, oh, so you come from the Federation and where's Captain Picard? And Centarelli, at first, for a moment, is unsure. Uh, and then Marco uh, says, you've, all, I've, you've always thought of yourself as more of a Captain Kirk. And after that moment, Santarelli does a really good job of BSing and kind of taking the lines that Marco and Jake feed him. Uh, they confirm this is the blade ship. It is sure. the blade ship for sure. Um, and they're speaking with a Yerk called Flit 1318 um, and they ask what they're doing here. Yeah. And basically they each ask what the other is doing here. And the blade ship is like, uh, you know, whatever. And Santorelli, uh, it's like, is, yeah, you know, 
whatever. <laughs> um, they're just like, they're buffet is classified uh, because they assume like they might yeah. think the blade ship thinks they're a, a, from the Yurk Empire to right. hunt him down. And they're both... Weapons power up. Yeah. It's ready for a fight. Slowly drifting closer to each other. The, the It is important to note that the Rachel is facing the blade ship and they are coming closer mm-hmm. together like head on. Um, Jake is the one who's like, all right, we have to blink first. If we just let this go, we're going to devolve into a firefight and we can't firefight the blade ship. Yeah. Um, so uh, Santorelli is like, it occurs to me that it would be a tragedy if any misunderstanding occurred between us. And Efflet is like, oh, and what misunderstanding could occur? And Santorelli is like, there is no empire. The empire's finished. We seized the ship and escaped. We'd heard that the blade ship has had escaped and survived. We've been looking for you ever since for more than three years. And Ethel's kind of like, okay, yeah, you would place yourself under the command of the one. Santorelli's eyebrows shot up. The who? (laughs) (laughs) I command this ship, Ethlet explained, but I serve at the pleasure of the one who is many, the one who is all. We are not alone. We are not this ship alone. We are the seeds of a new empire that will far outshine the old under the leadership of the one. Weird to see that wild messianic glow in the eyes of a man you knew was really just a Yurk slave. It was a disturbingly human expression. And uh, Santorelli's like, who? Who is this one? (laughs) I will invoke his presence. And he closes his eyes and raises his face. And then, not unlike the view screen, but, like, the image on the view screen goes blank, and the screen glows to life, but it's not really quite the screen, it's the entire front of the bridge, and there's an image that appears that's like this weird, uh, shifting image, a slow dissolve from what might be a robot's face, a machine with a rat-trap mouth and steel eyes into a sweet, feminine, almost elfin visage, and last and most enduring, into the face of Axinoli Escaruthus still. The face that belonged to our friend Axe split wide open across the bottom and revealed a new-formed mouth full of red-rimmed teeth. Save your tricks for this Yurk fool, the one said. I see the truth. I see all. Step into view, Jake the Yurk killer. I know you are there. I feel your mind. There was no doubting that voice, no way to imagine that it was just bluffing. The sound of it reached deep down inside you, beyond speech, beyond thought speak. Jake stepped out in front of Santorelli. I'm here, Jake said calmly. You have done well to come this far. You have come to find your friend. But the Andalite is part of me now, as you will soon be. Jake stared back at the foul thing on the screen. I saw what he saw, and I felt as if my brain was shutting down. In that shifting alien face was every corruption, every evil, and such power that it seemed impossible it could be present in just the narrow confines of the onrushing blade ship. Can we shoot? Jake asked Menderash, making no attempt to conceal his words from the alien. His dragon cannons have longer range and greater power, Menderash reported grimly, and his defensive fields have been enhanced. I doubt our cannon can penetrate them. Thought so, Jake said, still weirdly calm. But we are faster. Yes. Okay. Jake took a deep breath. He looked around the bridge at each of us. At Tobias. At me. What was it, Marco? Crazy, reckless, ruthless decisions? 
I nodded, wishing I had kept my mouth shut. There was a dangerous smile on Jake's face. Rachel's smile. Full emergency power to the engines, Jake said. Ram the blade ship. And that's the end of the series. Yeah. I definitely had a moment. <laughs> it's... You know, reading it this second time, I like it more. Yeah. It grows on you. Yeah, really does. Um, it's it's one of those things that they got a huge backlash for it when it yeah. first came out. There's actually there's a letter in the back of this book that's just like them thanking everybody for reading and whatnot, but there's also a letter that they put out after this. Um, I've got it open in a tab. I can read it. Yeah, that is a letter to angry fans where basically they're just like, yeah, we... We did it on purpose. We, we did this on purpose. This is all pur- purposeful. Yeah. Um, to read this letter from K.A., Dear Animorphs readers, quite a number of people seem to be annoyed by the final chapter in the Animorphs story. There are a lot of complaints that I let Rachel die, that I let Vissa 3 slash 1 live, that Cassie and Jake broke up, that Tobias seems to have been reduced to unexpressed grief, that there was no grand final fight to end all fights, that there was no happy celebration, and everyone is mad about the cliffhanger ending. So I thought I'd respond. Animorphs was always a war story. Wars don't end happily. Not ever. Often relationships that were central during war dissolve during peace. Some people who are brave and fearless in war are unable to handle peace, feel disconnected and confused. Other times people in war make the move to peace very easily. Always people die in wars. And always people are left shattered by the, love of loved, by the loss of loved ones. That's what happens, so that's what I wrote. Jake and Cassie were in love during the war and ended up going their separate ways afterward. Jake, who was so brave and capable during the war, is adrift during the peace. Marco and Axe, on the other hand, move easily past the war and even manage to use their experience to good effect. Rachel dies and Tobias will never get over it. That doesn't by any means cover everything that happens in a war, but it's a start. Here's what doesn't happen in war. There are no wondrous climatic battles that leave the good guys standing tall and the bad guys lying in the dirt. Life isn't a World Wrestling Federation smackdown. Even the people who win in a war, who survive and come out the other side with the conviction that they have done something brave and necessary, don't do a lot of celebrating. There's very little chanting of we're number one among people who've personally experienced war. I'm just a writer, and my main goal was always to entertain. But I've never let Animorphs turn into just another painless video game version of war, and I wasn't going to do it at the end. I've spent 60 books telling a strange, fanciful war story, sometimes very seriously, sometimes more tongue-in-cheek. I've written a lot of action and a lot of humour and a lot of sheer nonsense. But I have also, again and again, challenged readers to think about what they were reading. To think about the right and wrong, not just the who beat up who. Or who beat who. And to tell you the truth, I'm a little shocked that so many readers seem to believe I'd wrap it all up with a lot of high-fiving and back-slapping. Wars very often end, sad to say, just as ours did, with a nearly seamless transition to another war. So you don't like the way our little fictional war came out? You don't like Rachel dead and Tobias shattered and Jake guilt-ridden? You don't like that one war simply led to another? Fine. Pretty soon you'll all be a voting age and of draft age. So when someone proposes a war, remember that even the most necessary wars, even the rare wars where the lines of good and evil are clear and clean, end with a lot of people dead, a lot of people crippled, and a lot of orphans, widows, and grieving parents. 
If you're mad at me because that's what you have to take away from Animorphs, too bad. I couldn't have written it any other way and remained true to the respect I have always felt for Animorphs readers. K.A. Applegate. So when people say that Animorphs radicalized them at a young age, <laughs> this came out in the summer of 2001. Yeah. Uh, soon after, uh, terrorists commandeered planes and crashed into the World Trade Center. And then the leaders of the U.S. took that as an opportunity to go fight a war. Uh, They're still going. That's still happening. Mm. Uh, it is... One of the first things that I showed Jade after they finished reading uh, is Paparena's, um, Paparena did a, like a retrospective. Um, I've mentioned him before and how he's done an opinionated Animorphs book guide on YouTube. Um, he helped to form the seeds of a lot of the opinions that I actually have come to hold for Animorphs. I don't necessarily recommend it now. He doesn't recommend it now. But it definitely did something. And this retrospective that he has he talks about, is Animorphs still relevant? Uh, and the answer is, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in, in a world where fascism rises again, uh, and there are a lot of people who we might have originally thought would be on our side are instead just looking to take the easy way out. Um, and we're still fighting wars that mean nothing. Uh, Animorph still has some stuff to say. And that's part of why I so wanted to make a podcast like this. There are a million other Animorphs podcasts. There are so many. Um, and I think we've managed to do something that is... Oh, slightly more unique than others. Um, or maybe at least we've talked about some points that maybe others have not. Uh, we've certainly been more in depth of, in our summaries. <laughs> um, but there is, for as much as Animorphs falls down, and, you know, we have rightly called out mm -hmm. a lot of it, and I'm sure there's more that we didn't even touch on. Um, there is something worthwhile to say here. Mm -hmm. And that was very valuable to children like me who read it when we were young in learning about war, not as this glorious thing that you go off to, but as this knock down, drag out fight that hurts everybody and everything that it touches um and i've never really held the ending against ka i think i was a little frustrated partly because you know there's there's things to argue about like why is this just an entirely new enemy that's come out of nowhere that wasn't even foreshadowed once at any point in the series um, 
But, I don't know. It kind of makes sense in a lot of ways. Sometimes just new things pop up. Or things that you thought weren't a threat become threats. Or people just make up a war whole cloth uh, to go fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, a couple of questions, some of which we've um, various got. Thank you to everybody in our discussion channel who've been like, hardcore engaging with this uh it's love you it was very fun after i finished the book to go back and unspoil attack everything and (laughs) lob a whole walls of text into rot 13 to find Mm -hmm. out what you've all been saying and it's definitely influenced some of my own thoughts uh that i've tried to bring to the table i hope that uh if i've cited a thought you've said that i did credit you (laughs) um there was a lot of it you guys had a lot to say um I can't remember who raised the point of it, but um, Jawasco asked, do we think that everyone on board the Rachel died when they rammed the blade ship? And somebody raised the point with um, the act of ramming the Rachel into the blade ship is what Elfangor did. When the Elemis brought him back from Earth, he dropped him in the middle of a firefight that was happening between... A dome ship that was losing in the blade ship. And he dropped Elfangor into a fighter. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. And Elfangor calls up Visser 3 and is like, yo, bitch, remember me? <laughs> and Surprise, just, bitch. And then fucking just rams the blade ship. I think they use that exact terminology. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think everyone died at all. I don't think so either. I think it's meant, the title of the book, it's meant to be a new beginning. Yeah. A shitty upsetting beginning mm-hmm. because of the inevitableness of it mm-hmm. but yeah the, i'm fairly certain the idea is let's ram them and make life and then fucking fly away really fast and figure out yeah. what we're gonna do mm-hmm. um sean asks so do you think that one is kreak's next move obviously yeah um, new game started yeah well it's the same game oh, same it's just game. different yeah. pieces I don't think pawn get turned into a king. Pawn made it all the way across the board and changed into a king. That's how chess yeah. works, right? And it, we learn more about it in the Elemis Chronicles, which we still have yet to read. Um, I put it to the end specifically because the the conceit of it is that the Elemist, that one line at the beginning of here where Rachel's like, "Who are you to play games with our lives?" and he's like, "For a while, it he told me." Yeah, that's the Elemis Chronicle. The Elemis Chronicles happens in the space of those two sentences. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> there's a that's why I put it off is because I I didn't read it until way after personally, and so Rachel's death came completely out of fucking left field to me. Yeah. Um. And you know, there's there's details that come out of it that essentially the Elemist and Krayak fought like in person, quote unquote, as much as they can fight in person. For a long time and destroyed a lot of the galaxy. Um, and then they finally were like, you know, this, uh, this isn't gonna work out well. This yeah, is even if we both survive. assured destruction, yeah. even. And they're like, oh, we're, we'll instead fight by proxy. Uh, because, mm-hmm. me- like, subtleties for cowards. Yep. Um, 
But, uh, and so the Yurks and the, became kind of the Krayak's pawn, and the humans and the Andalites became Elemis' uh, pawns. But I don't think their game is over here. Yeah. Um, I think that, and, and of course, they're, it's not like they're responsible for everything that happens in the universe that just grossly oversimplifies everything. Um, but some of the things we learn about the Elemist and how, how he quote unquote plays his game is how small of a change can he make to get the biggest effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, butterfly effect theory. Exactly. Um, and so I think that this is a portion, you know what? It's like go. My husband loves Go. It's a, it, it's a very smart game. I cannot wrap my head around it. Uh, it's extremely complicated for having like three rules. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's, but it, it, it is, it is a war game and like you place pieces and when you play it, you have this huge board and you get involved in like these little battles in like one part of the board. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have to go over to this other part of the board and like defend there and stuff like that. And that just makes me think of this mm. is like they're, they're fighting this one battle and the Elemist won this one battle, but there's still the whole rest of the board yeah. that they're playing with. Um, so that's a very long winded answer to say, mm-hmm. yes, I do think that the one is Krayak's next move. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean also asked us, uh, what questions or ideas do we have about things that weren't addressed in this book? Uh, how were Jake's parents after this? What about Lauren, Nora, Pedro? What happened with the Chi and the Yerks in their heads? Do the Yerks ever find a symbiotic relationship? Any other nagging questions this book left you with? Um, I feel we've unpicked some of these, uh, as we go. Um, as with our frustrations, because these things are sort of directly out of the focus of the authors, mm-hmm. I think a lot of characters that are introduced you could quite easily go and spend time with and mm-hmm. And that's why shout out to the fanfic writers mm-hmm. and the people that do um do this sort of thing. Um I'm sure we can drop some links uh, to various AUs and expansions that people have done, like mm-hmm. taking elements and expanding and exploring. Mm-hmm. So I assume Nora's dead for what it's worth. I assume she died in the blast. Yeah. Um, cool. I hope Lauren is set up somewhere and is okay. Yeah. Uh, I hope they got to Pedro because it was one of James's initial things conditions was that um we know the kids the kids hospital wasn't within the blast radius Mm -hmm. so um what happened with the chi and the yurks in their head i think the chi kept their heads down for a while Mm -hmm. maybe released the yurks back into whatever pool Mm -hmm. because at some point there had to be some kind of mass de-infestation yeah that happened um, with hosts, and I just imagine that the chi sided up to one of those events exactly, and just gave up their their yurk with that. Um, I would hope so, anyway. Otherwise, that is just that's a whole other kind of <laughs> worms. <laughs> um, but I think, I think essentially they just keep their heads down 
And yeah. like, you know what? We'll wait a hundred years until this blows over and then we'll just go back to our dog loving lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think the Yerks ever find a symbiotic relationship? So I don't think we've touched on the ending for the Yerks. Mm. And the thing is that the, the Yerks who surrendered on board the pool ship, um, as part of their surrender, were granted amnesty and the morphing power to become Nothlets. We don't know what they become. Mm-hmm. Maybe they all become whales, like fucking Aftran. Who fucking knows? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they go form a pod of whales, in which case you have the same problem as you had with the taxons. Maybe they become humans. Maybe they become humans. Um, that I would love for that to be the case. But, but then you've also still got... Then you get into how, like... um. And then you're looking at sort of like a refugee situation mm-hmm. and uh like where do they go? Yeah. Are they put in like witness protection so nobody knows who they were? Right. Um because there's gonna be so many people who hate them. Right yeah. so. Yeah. Um but they're the Yurks besides Visser One aren't touched. Mm-hmm. Council of Thirteen's still out there. The Council of Thirteen's still out there, presumably trying to wage war. They still have control of the Horkbajir and Taxes on Homeworlds. Yep. Presumably the Andalites, because we see that the Andalites are gradually demilitarizing, mm-hmm. that they're, they have made big strides yeah. in that, or at least have blockaded those planets so mm-hmm. that the Yurks can't get out. Um, but like, it is a shame that we had these kind of interesting, uh, like shades of gray, for lack of a better term, that occurred within the Yurk ranks. You know, we have, we don't hear about the peace movement at all. We don't hear, um, about the, the Yurks. It's, we just assume that there's the Yurks who went with Tom and then the Yurks who mm-hmm. were still under Visser One. We don't hear about any others. We don't hear about any, like, defecting or building boxes for them so that they can live in their pools but still interact with the life outside or Mm -hmm. anything like that. And uh, there's so much potential there for healthy yerk-human symbiosis that is not even glanced at. Mm -hmm. And it's just a shame to me. Um, but I mean, it's one of these things. Like now we have, we've obviously still got the Animus Chronicles to go, but I mean, we've still got plenty of stuff to talk about. If there's any specific things you'd like us to maybe discuss or engage with, uh, let us know because. Yeah. It's something I'd be more than happy to devote some more time to talking about because, like Danielle says, there's so much that there wasn't the space for in the books mm-hmm. to expand on. Um, and that's the luxury we have. Yeah. Transformative works, baby. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, there's something, thinking about that final chapter, um, even if you ignore what they've already gone for, the difference of, 19 year olds mm-hmm. going to war choosing to versus 13 year olds mm-hmm. um i think it was Pikachu. 
something. I'm sorry, I've forgotten your t- Discord handle, but talked about um, rereading book one. Yeah, it was Pikachu. Oh, it was Pikachu. Um, didn't really have the time or mental energy to add a third book into my head to possibly cloud the waters. Um, but even if you think about like, and it's clearly intentional, so much of that conversation at Marco's pool, mm-hmm. and that's really the crux of it, is both the same and radically different mm-hmm. from book one. Yeah. They are both, They are, you can see the boys they were mm-hmm. and very much how they have changed. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like Tobias has nothing really to fight for except for this one, but has a cause now. Mm-hmm. And oh, look, it's the possible death of an Andalite that's mm-hmm. got him moving again. Mm-hmm. Jake is fighting the good fight, and Marco is following Jake mm-hmm. because it's the right thing to do. It's not different. Yeah. Oh, it's back to our uh, Hades town. It's a sad song. <laughs> We sing it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's the same song. Yeah. Uh, let, let's lump these two together and say rankings out of 10 for plot. I mean, it's right up there. It's genuinely well-paced, well-written. I like it. It's upsetting. Um, <laughs> but as we said before, the fact that they give so much time and weight, the balance of the mission of 53 and the opening of 54 and then mm-hmm. what comes after. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a solid nine. I yeah. can't give it a ten on principle. <laughs> I yeah, I would. I'd give it like a nine. Yeah, because it's not without its issues, but for the most part, it's yeah. The the plot and pacing are genu- genuinely very good. Mm-hmm. Um, characterization as a whole. Uh, fifty four pulls up fifty three's yeah. missteps, mm-hmm. uh, and this is like the. You can feel Ka at the helm, like reclaiming their characters mm-hmm. and just like fully like, no, this is these are the people, mm-hmm. and the fact that the only person really like I wanted more from Tobias, yeah, more from Axe and more from Tobias. Mm-hmm. Everybody else did great. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get a chapter from Tobias. Well, we do get a chapter from Tobias, but it's really Tobias. just yeah, reactive. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, maybe an eight. Yeah, it... I would give it a nine. Uh, enjoyability slash satisfaction. Yeah, it's up there. I would give it a ten. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll up my characterization to nine as well. I think <laughs> just because what was there wasn't the problem. It's just I yeah. wanted more of things. Yeah. So, what was your favorite part? Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck off! <laughs> Fuck off! Um, that's a really brutal question. You could do each book if you wanted. Do you think that makes it better? <laughs> um, of 54, I'm inclined to give it to Marco chewing Jake out of the poolside. It's very good. It's just fucking incredible. Um, and also just the fucking visual on the Rachel. Um, Danielle sent me this art. <laughs> And I'm mad about it still. Uh, the preview of it is in our fucking Discord DM, so I can't even escape it. Um, but 
the fact that they're all, well, I say all, Jake being so haunted by Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is just like powerful. Yeah. Um, for book 53, there's so many good, like, striking scenes in mm-hmm. 53. Uh, it's really hard to, like, pin something out because nothing in it feels good. You know what I mean? There's some really excellent stuff, but nothing in there makes me go, yeah, I want to read that bit again. Like, no, I don't think I do. (laughs) I'm sad, actually. Um, Though the visual of Jake doing his morphing masterclass, uh, for the, that is very cool. I think one of the fics I sent you is actually, was written by Darren, and it's Mm. like in the, the, form of like one of those classes that jake is teaching but mm. instead yes of, it's it, stabbing up yeah 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 where he stabs himself in the fucking hand with a knife like pain is temporary you can morph it away yeah pain isn't real <laughs> you know um also the moment between uh jake and cassie in the mm-hmm. snake house is very mm-hmm, good because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, i like to suffer yeah what about you um my favorite part in 53 is probably Visser 3 watching 17,000 frozen yurks That's drift such by the a, window. It's such, uh, it's, it feels weird to call it beautiful, yeah. but also space shit's good is the thing. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it, it's very poignant. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to call it a humanizing moment yeah. for, for the Visser, but does like... He feels like much less of a caricature yes. in that moment. Yes, exactly. He feels much less of a caricature in in these books as a whole. Yeah. Like the, that moment where he's talking with Tom and he's freaking out because he knows something is wrong, but he can't figure out what it is, mm. is beautiful. Yeah. Um, And then Rachel's last stand. Just Rachel, it. it's fucking incredible. It's so good. It's so well written and it's gut-wrenching because you can... There's not some nothing quite like steering into an inev. It's like a slide that you can't pull out of, mm-hmm. and you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, surprises. We really did talk about that mm-hmm. sort of as we went. Mm-hmm. Was not expecting them to fucking kill off all the auxiliaries. Like that. Yeah, was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the more amusing side, we're just in the Hague now. <laughs> Uh, also, just like starting the chapter, it was vaguely aware it was coming, but just like Marco and Cassie and Axe being like, let's just drop Jake into the ocean. Yeah. He needs <laughs> to morph for his own good. Yeah. They aren't wrong, mm-hmm. but also yeah. nice to know. Yeah. They're still fucking 17. Uh-huh. What um, about you on the reread? Anything catch you? Not really. I know you've um, said 54 is one of the ones you've sort of... I've reread 54 numerous times. 53 less so. Um, but I knew the beats going into it. Not necessarily from reading the book itself, but from reading other things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there wasn't really anything that surprised me. Yeah, fair. Except for the word frowsy. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> The first time I saw it, I was like, okay, they made up a word, whatever. The second time they used it, I was like, why Why are you trying to make Frowzy happen? Frowzy isn't going to happen. 
was there any part that didn't make sense to you or that you didn't understand? We've unpicked that to, uh-huh. to, yeah. We have picked that carcass clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it's essential. It is obviously one. essential. I mean, you could go without reading it. Uh, I why guess, would you? Why? Yeah. Uh, I guess if you don't like your stories to have endings. Yep. Yep. Sure. Yeah. But, I mean. Yeah, on. you also couldn't read 53. Not you couldn't not read fifty three and just read fifty four, right? So, uh, yeah, you you miss a whole lot of context as to how because all all almost every single piece of the final battle mm. happens in fifty three. Yeah, the only thing that doesn't happen in fifty three is Rachel killing Tom. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then the actual like full on surrender. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, mm-hmm. uh. Yeah. All right. Well, that was books 53 and 54. Uh, we're probably going to, we want to do like a round table, um, yeah. generally just sort of chatting about the series as a whole. Um, we've got ideas about things we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally we may watch an episode or two of the TV series. Maybe we'll watch the Lord Ravenscroft video about how the TV series isn't actually terrible. Okay. okay. And we'll watch that instead. Okay. Sounds great. Um, but I think for now, uh, leaving you with the image of a boomerang-shaped ship mm. flying into the blade ship, mm-hmm. um, my co-host, my guide, my Sherpa on this journey of pain <laughs> and childhood trauma uh, has been Danielle. You can find them on the internet at Red Tailed Hawk 90. Their home podcast is The Room Where It Happened. Their current season is Elder County, Tennessee, uh, it's urban fantasy with an Appalachian flair. You want to check it out. I promise you there is stuff going on there. Uh, Brian, the GM, has been doing some really cool supplementary materials. It's got a Buckwild faction game. And as always, the stories that the ca- the gang over there tell are great. Uh, and keep your eyes peeled for Idiot Teenagers with the Death Wish Volume 2 coming soon to an itch.io <laughs> <laughs> by you. Uh, my co-host has been Jade. Uh, you can find them on the internet at Oxford Rose. Send them flowers or something. They've been such a great trooper. Uh, this entire time, they've allowed me to take them on this journey uh, and only yelled at me a little bit uh, and didn't kill me in my sleep. So those are all good things. Um, uh, but you can find them on the internet at Oxford Rose. You can find their home podcast. Follow the leader at FDLcast on Twitter. They're finishing up their games of Pathfinder, their last kind of, for now at least, Mm-hmm. of the pathfinder crew uh is coming out now-ish and yeah. in the next couple of weeks and then they're going back to jamless games which really is their bread and butter and it's just so incredible the work that they do over there the character uh driven stories that they tell um also you should check out their gofundme you can find the link pinned to their tumblr or at the top of their twitter because they re- they retweet it frequently um, to help them get something off their chest. Go donate a few dollars if you can. Um, you can it- do that instead of flowers. <laughs> <laughs> spend the money you would spend on flowers on their GoFundMe instead. Um, but yeah, this has been an absolute pleasure. We're, we're, we have more to talk about. Many sure. more things to talk about. Uh, at the very least, we have the Elemis Chronicles to go through. We're going to do probably at least a little bit of spec bio bullshit. Mm-hmm. Probably some kind of uh, retrospective, not retrospective, uh, roundtable like Jade mentioned to, to kind of bring everything together. Uh, but until then. Until then, uh, stay safe out there. Look after yourselves, friends. <laughs>